If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. It is Stephen Schleicher, and I just wanted to say I hope you're doing well again this week. Hey, listen, we just hit kind of a chapter break there in the Void Saga. If you remember from last week, the party was uh, running away from a fight, escaping a no-win situation, and that seemed like a good place to take a break this week. In addition, here in the United States, it is Memorial Day weekend. Now, because of the situation that's going on across the world right now, many of you are looking for ways that you can continue your gaming sessions together at a distance. Coincidentally, last month on the GM Roundtable, we talked about how to take your game online. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, what the heck is the GM Roundtable? Well, the GM Roundtable is a monthly discussion uh, with our patrons over at patreon.com slash major spoilers, silver level and higher, where they kind of pick a topic And for that uh, show for the month, we sit around and talk about tips, techniques, and ways that you can make your game mastering a heck of a lot better. So this week, because we're on that chapter break, and because of the holiday weekend, and because I want to give everyone a little taste of what the GM Roundtable is, and to help you out in your own game sessions, this week we are releasing the Game Masters Roundtable Episode 5, Taking Your Game Online to you for free. You don't have to pay for it. It's coming up here in just a few minutes. And you may be saying, wait, there's five episodes? No, there's actually six episodes. Because just this week, we we recorded our sixth episode of the GM Roundtable. And next month, we'll do another live recording of the GM Roundtable for everyone. And if you would like to get in on that, then all you need to do is point your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. So, Hopefully you enjoy this. If you get something out of it, please let us know by uh, messaging us at Major Spoilers on Twitter or using the hashtag Critical Hit. Uh, We'd certainly appreciate getting some feedback from the general audience. And if you want to participate, if you want to join in, and if you want to get more, uh, just go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Major Spoilers, for more information and uh, check out some of the other free stuff that we have over there waiting for you. So here you go. Here is the GM Roundtable. Have your friends moved away, can't make it to game night, but still want to play? Taking your role-playing game online has become a big deal in the last several years. GMs are still struggling to have a successful campaign. This month on the GM Roundtable, we'll be tackling the problems and the successes of taking your game virtual. I'm Steven Schleicher. Thank you for joining us this week on the GM Roundtable. And our panelists uh, once again this week include uh, Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Hello. Rob is also here. Hello, Robert. Hi-o. D&D Brian, what's going on? Oh, it's going. <laughs> Rodrigo is here. Hey. And Matthew is here as well. Mina Konbanwa. So we have an interesting uh, setup uh, because we have been doing the Critical Hit podcast as basically virtual gaming since the very beginning because not all the players have ever been at the table at the same time. And now, over the course of 10, 12 years, Uh, There's nobody at the table. In fact, everybody is virtual. So we've got some experiences and we have some things that we believe work and some things that that, uh, we believe don't work when it comes to setting up a game virtually. But Rodrigo, let's begin with you and let's talk about some of the logistics of playing the game uh, online versus playing uh, the game system. Uh, Yeah, so when you're getting ready to start an online game, you really need to consider what a session entails and what the game wants. If the game uses miniatures, you have to take that into account. 
If the game uses cards, you have to take that into account. If the game doesn't care about any sort of like physical space, that's probably going to be helpful. Um, but you'd be surprised uh, as you start playing that there might be things that you didn't think about. So it, it definitely helps to think ahead of time of what it is that the game calls for, how you normally play it, and what sort of actual spatial movement is necessary, and uh, start basically shopping around for systems that are going to either allow you to do that, or and by, by which I mean a, a way of communicating uh, remotely that is either going to allow you to do that or uh, finding ways to patch that out of the game. Sure. Now, one of the earliest forms of doing um, role-playing games remotely is through play-by-post, which has been a big uh, popular aspect of gaming since the early, you know, rec arts uh, RPGs.DungeonsAndDragons.PlayHere.Coms yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> days. Uh, and even uh, when we had the forums over at Major Spoilers, we had a very active play-by-post uh, experience going on Matthew, you've probably had more experience with play-by-post than most. What are some experiences that you've had with play-by-post, and does that work or does it not work? It works, but a play-by-post game and an RPG played at a table with live people are completely different beasts. It's the difference between you know, going to a Rolling Stones concert and Rolling Stones in your backyard. They have the same name, but that's really the only you know coherent thought process that's the same. One thing that you find in a play-by-post game that can be really troublesome is kind of the the perception of granular time. Um, I used to do play-by-post. We would do RPG um, wrestling games. We would actually have the physical game on the N64, but then we would role-play all of the other stuff in the forums. And part of the response and part of who won and who lost was actually based on your role-play. And you would get guys who would get super granular and would go through, you know, you would post something and say, this is my promo or this is what happens. And they would go through line by line and respond line by line in a way that is not legitimately physically possible if you were playing face to face. So you have, you know, there are differences in the perception of time. There are differences in if I put something in, say it's Tuesday night for me, I put in something and someone on a completely different timeline doesn't come in until Friday. Yeah, the the asynchronous aspect exactly. of play-by-post seems to be the most frustrating for a lot Absolutely. of people. Because you'll have people on Friday who want to respond to what I said on Tuesday, but unfortunately, Wednesday and Thursday, Rob and Brian have already been involved. The game has moved on from that point. If Rodrigo comes in on Friday, you still have to deal with the fact of, as far as he's concerned, that's the newest information. And I feel like the play-by-post experiences that I've had were mostly positive, but were also very frustrating in ways that a face-to-face or even the remote gaming that we do on Critical Hit will never be. Yeah. So when it comes going and so combining both of these together, both the play-by-post experience where, again, most of it is descriptions and there's very little extra material, and then looking at something like what we do with Critical Hit, as Rodrigo was explaining, knowing what the logistics are, Sam, what are some of the physical things that you need to have when you're taking your game online? What are some of those considerations? Uh, so it depends a bit on um, what uh, some of the things Rodrigo was saying. Like if you're not playing a game that involves a lot of, um, you know, like that where you need a physical grid or if you're using a tool like Roll20, you really just need to worry about your um, audio setup. Um, in which case, you know, people can uh, get away with having it on their uh, laptops. But I actually recommend, especially if you have, say, like one group that's meeting in person and one group that's outside, um, having a separate mic because it'll provide better sound. Because um, you're going to get reverb if you have, say, two people who are on their laptops. Um, you can't have both of them be doing the audio at once. And so then one person's going to be really soft. Um, so I like having like a centralized microphone device that can be between all the people who are in one setting um so it's picking up their voices equally um and then if you're uh do care about visuals um i also recommend having a webcam um which you can set up to uh, show 
depending on like the session, you can have it be looking at the player's faces or like so you can see each other's faces for social scenes, or you can have it pointed at like the grid or your map or, or whatever physical setup you have. Um, if you're doing a thing where people kind of need to see uh, where their characters are in position. I also uh, love when possible to have um, a setup where you can have your people's faces showing up on a separate screen. Cause if you're using say your laptops to manage your character sheet, that way you can see people's faces, but still also be looking at your tools as opposed to having to tap it between them. Sure. So, you know, one of the, the things that we've done over the years is uh, we, I don't think we ever had a webcam on individuals faces um, because of course we're telling stories and we're playing games. However, in the early days of critical hit, we did have a webcam that was pointed at a physical mat. Rodrigo would bring in his his uh, mat and draw things out, and then we had, when we were taking pictures of the uh, table, I would just mount a little webcam on top of the camera pointing at the same direction, and whatever the camera, the physical um, digital SLR camera was seeing, that's what Matthew would be seeing on his end on, on Skype. And so we used that for a number of years until we made the move over to Roll20, and we really haven't used webcams since. There's a couple of issues uh, with webcams, and it really depends on when we talk about components and requirements for gaming, one of the things that you really should take into consideration is uh, what is your internet speed? What is your bandwidth? Because if you're going to be using a webcam and uh, audio and depending on what other things that you might be uh, calling up web pages or Roll20 stuff or other things, that's going to eat up into your bandwidth. And, and certainly video takes up a much b bigger part uh, or bigger chunk of that bandwidth than audio or uh, or um, you know, text on a, on a web page, HTML stuff. So that is a consideration that you probably need to keep in mind. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing that you need to kind of consider is: is the webcam actually necessary? Do you need to see other people's faces? Matthew, do you want to answer? You want to take on take on that about uh, the the need for a webcam? Absolutely. I think that, as, you know, I have always been remote on Critical Hit. And aside from, there, there is a, a sort of a getting to know you voice period, because for the longest time, I had never met any of the other players. To this day, I still haven't met Sam. And it was like five years before I ever met Rodrigo. But you get to a point where I agree, I don't think you need to see the faces of the players but you also have to build in a little bit of learning time because you have to learn what might be a vocal cue, what might be an audio cue that Steven is upset or Rodrigo you know, got interrupted or Rob was starting to say something. You do have to be more aware without that access. And more importantly, when we had the webcam, I had a very, very small screen. And so there were times when I needed someone to actually reach in and physically point at this is your miniature or something else that will occasionally come up even now in roll 20. And Rodrigo's very good about trying to anticipate this. My colors aren't really good. My eyes are very, very old and don't function very well. So sometimes if you say to me, this is the orange one and this is the green one, I will need you to identify which is which visually. So being aware of the fact that your, your faraway players may not need to see your face, but they may need additional visual cues. They may need additional assistance. And it may not be just a matter of the equipment. It may be a matter of that person's ability to see or hear or, you know, any of the other things that you need to be a part of the game. So that's mm -hmm. something to keep in mind for long distance gaming. Yeah. At one point, uh, we did away with the traditional webcam. I was using one of the iMac uh, webcams, the iCam or whatever it was called. We ditched that when one of our listeners sent us a really high end and very expensive um, video conferencing system where we had, you know, that you might find in a, in a boardroom that had a really nice high definition camera that we would connect uh, to Matthew. And the nice thing about that, it was remote controlled. So if at that point, if Matthew needed to see where he was at, we could zoom into the mat and zoom out of the mat. But at the same time, webcams under normal lighting conditions are not, are not that great, right? They have poor contrast performance. They often have poor color performance. And so you need to do a lot of tweaking or you need to do a lot of, of uh, light manipulation to make it look good. So there may be times when you've got a white mat or a whitish mat or a gray mat or whatever it may be. And 
because that thing is so bright, your webcam may automatically close down that iris, and then suddenly it's very hard to see all these little black blobs all over your, your mat and to know which one is your character and which one is someone else's character and which one is the uh, enemy, uh, so on and, and so forth. So uh, webcams can be great. Uh, but they, you also need to be aware that there are some of those problems that, that need to arise. Rodrigo, do you think that you always need to see players' faces in virtual gaming? No. I mean, we, we make do with uh, Critical Hit, uh, obviously. <laughs> Doesn't it fall uh, out of the trees, though? Yeah, that's a, that's a callback for all, you, for all you people that have been listening for the past thousand or so years that we've been doing this show. Um, no... Uh, so I was kind of distraught when we first started or when it became clear that it would be harder to continue doing uh, seeing people's faces. We were using uh, Google Hangouts mm-hmm. there for a little bit mm-hmm. um, where we could see um, uh, Matthew and Adriana, but eventually that just kind of it just kind of became clear that it wasn't going to work and so we just stopped we you know for several years now critical hit has been audio only for us and because it's a podcast uh that has kind of ended up being a good thing it certainly pushes me to do a lot more description because if i'm if i'm being an npc who is being in trouble and i'm like making a weird face you know the five of us or six of us can see the weird face, but the audience can't. Um, so it pushes me to describe the face. It pushes me to describe things a lot more. Um, and it pushes uh, definitely me as a game master to request more description from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think it pushes everyone else who wants people to understand what their character is doing to do that. And it's possible, but you have to... Um, you have to figure it out. You have to work on it and you have to like sort of improve your vocabulary because a lot of the time you end up saying thingy. It's like, yeah, he's wearing a coat that has like those thingies on the shoulders that like have like hanging down thingies. Epaulets. And then like, yeah, epaulets. Exactly. Um, so, you know, learn, you I have sp- to learn, you have to learn what an epaulette is. You have to learn what an awning is and you have to learn what a rancer is. Yes. And sometimes you can use that, all the, uh, the lack of visuals to your advantage, especially if you want somebody to do this. Uh, Brian, like how this. do you, how do you, <laughs> yes, exactly like that. Uh, how do you make sure that people are having a good time when you can't see the body language? One of the nice things that when it was uh, Rob and Brian and Rodrigo and myself in a room, even when we're talking, we could do some visual cues, pointing at one another like, ooh, here's a point where you should jump in or, you know, uh, some other things. How do, you, how do you ensure people are still having a good time when you can't yeah. uh, see, that, see that body language? Definitely. Uh, you're definitely relying a lot more on audio, uh, audible cues, cues and, uh, yeah, like uh, voice, tone and everything. Uh, you might just have to kind of check in with certain players every now and again, uh, ones that are particularly quiet. I mean, some people are just more quiet than others. Uh, you just uh, maybe have to check in and say, hey, what's this character doing? Uh, you know, uh, again, listen to how they respond, not just what they're saying and uh, see if they need to be included more, see if uh, there needs to be you know, a different direction taken, uh, kind of, and just kind of uh, you know, fill people out. Uh, it's you know, just one of those soft skills. You kind of have to uh, develop an exercise over time, and it's just something that uh, kind of gets easier as you go along, but uh, it's always going to be a challenge, especially uh, if you're having a whole group on a in an adventure, uh, there can be a lot of crosstalk to kind of make things a little difficult if someone is kind of having less of a bad time. Uh, so, yeah, like I say, just kind of go around and make uh, check in with everyone and make sure everyone's still uh, invested. Yeah, what, what do you, know, you go ahead, go ahead, Rodrigo. You know, some people are a little too sensitive to what they perceive from other people. So, you'll be they'll be running their game and they'll see somebody like leaning like they have their head leaning on their hand or just like down looking at something else and they will perceive that to be that they're bored or not paying attention whereas uh, that's actually not the case so in that sense sometimes doing things remotely and not being able to uh, see the players can actually help 
basically shy game masters or game masters who are a little bit too tense about what everybody's doing and thinking to sort of let that go and just run the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I was uh, reading some other GM tips the other day and the person was like, you know, it's not it's not your job to make sure that uh, everyone is is focused and and having a good time all the time. Your job is to run the game. Uh, But, you know, one of the things about being in front of a computer, especially if you're by yourself in a room and no one else is there, it's very easy to pick up that phone or it's easy to start surfing the web while other things are going on. Keeping focus might be a, a good job of the of the GM. Does anyone have any suggestions on how you can make sure that people are focusing on the stuff instead of just, oh, I wandered off to go use the bathroom or and forgot to tell people or uh, my mind is over on uh, Twitter or some other some other web space? Just even in a face-to-face game, you're not going to be able to avoid external distractions or issues. But I think that the way to do that, and Rodrigo does it very well, is, and you do it as well when you're moderating our discussions in the various podcasts, you will be in a discussion and then you will actually call somebody out. Not Well, not call them out, but you'll say, <laughs> and how do you, how, well, you'll do that too. But how, how do you feel about this? Sam. Well, and know, so, or... but oh, so here's the thing, though. If you're going to do that, you need to be very careful in how you do it. Because if someone isn't paying attention, and I want to say, oh, so Rob, or so what do you think of that, Rob? Then Rob's like, oh, wait, I wasn't paying attention to that. Whereas you say, Rob, what do you think about that? Then that gives them that cue to you need to pay attention. So calling so, their name first and then asking the question or the statement, I think, does work uh, yeah. maybe a little bit better. Now. Here's another thing that uh, that I found out, especially in the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, many people were commenting on the tense scene between Ket and Orem uh, when they when they met for the first time. A lot of people enjoyed that role playing action. Uh, what but yeah, exactly. Uh, but the interesting thing was Matthew and I were having a side conversation mm-hmm. uh, while that was going on because I think that that added to the role play where I was whispering to Matthew, "Ooh." Orem is so mad at Ket. He wants to just punch him in the face so bad. I forget what the whole conversation was. And yeah, then, it was and then secret, Matthew, secret stuff. Yeah, it was secret stuff. But at the same time, it kind of added into some of that role play action where maybe Sakar was still standing by because he could read, could virtually read uh, the yeah. room of what was going on to help make that gameplay a little, little more uh, interesting or a little bit more tense. It's kind of like passing notes uh, during mm-hmm. gameplay if you want to think of it that way. Rob, you were going to say something a moment ago. What, what You've had some instances uh, with this, right? Uh, I was basically going to say a lot of what Matthew said about it uh, with you just want to make sure that you're calling on people if they're getting uh, more quiet than normal, that you're making sure to include everybody more often is more important when you can't see exactly what's going on with everybody. Uh, just allowing them, allowing that uh, moment of, hey, Matthew, what's going mm-hmm. on with your character right now while these schmucks are over here doing this nonsense? Absolutely. And something that can be an advantage in long distance gaming is that I have uh, what they refer to in the parlance as RBF. And I will sit, and if I'm listening intently, sometimes I will look like I'm really mad, or I'll look like I'm just like ready to explode. Sometimes I'll look like I'm half asleep. All of that means that I'm listening and I'm engaged. So Rodrigo not being able to see that, the other players not being able to see me, especially if I am really irritated at a game, something that's happening in game, but it's not something that needs to come through in Sakar or into the actual show itself it works to my advantage because i can sit and if i have to i can just roll my eyes and i can be fine and that's a real positive for me because vocally speaking i feel like i have more control of how i sound than how my face actually looks so for me at least it's always a plus when you can hear me getting upset then you know that i'm totally upset but there are times when i'm just like and a friend of mine, and I will sit silently, and it'll be fine, and everybody will move on. And because it's it's not about the game, it's not something that anyone needs to address or pat me on the head. It's just me having to, you know, deal with whatever's going on in my head at that time. So, 
We, we record this game uh, or this show live for everyone, uh, and you're able to join us in, in our Discord, and we do have people in the Discord this week. Uh, for those of you who are in the Discord, uh, I was curious, what virtual systems do you use to play your games? Uh, does, is everyone using Roll20, or are people using uh, various different things? Because one of the questions people have is, hey, what what is there out there that that we can play our games with. And so here are some of the ones that, that I've come across that you could use uh, to play your games virtually. There's D&D Beyond. One of the nice things about D&D Beyond is it does uh, integrate with your Twitch stream. So if you're doing a Twitch stream, you can actually have overlays for all the characters to pop up so that uh, players, uh, viewers who are watching can hover over the screen and they can access uh, the character sheets for everybody in real time. Uh, the, there's the Dungeon Masters Guild at uh, dmsguild.com, Fantasy Grounds, uh, Dungeon Fog, uh, what do we have, Map Tool, D20 Pro, Astral, and Roll20 are just some of the uh, gaming systems that are out there for people to use. So Kevin says that he uses Roll20 in Discord for voice and video chat. D&D Beyond is great for 5e, but only 5e, says uh, Chris. Uh, so far, I've only played uh, play-by-post on forums, says D. Harshman, apart from face-to-face -face games. So there is a, a kind of a broad uh, sw uh, swatch, swash uh, of people. Swath. Yes, Swath. of people. Swathings. Boys, Swayze, boys, the World Twenties and the things Swayze. and the Glavens and the and the D and D's Beyonds. It's a Patrick Swayze Christmas, everybody. My pretty elf. Um, anyway, uh, Roll Twenty seems to be the one that a lot of people use uh, because it's the one that seems seems to be most accessible. Uh, but um, who? Uh, but Kevin did point out. One of the things that I would avoid going back to webcams and voice and all that stuff, Roll20, and they even admit that their video and audio uh, portions of the game suck, are, are really poor. So I would really encourage people who are using Roll20 to not use the audio or video functions of Roll20 to try and interact with, with each other. Uh, instead, there are a number of other things that you can do. Uh, you can use Skype. You could use Discord. We use Skype. We did use Google Hangouts for a while, but then as we moved to separate to our current configuration, which is very complicated, uh, that was no longer an issue. People have been using Zoom a lot lately. Uh, who was I just, somebody else I was just talking to had said that they had used Zoom for a game that they played last week and had a fine time with it. It was fine as well. Uh, but I would uh, really stay away from, from Roll20 as your video and audio app. However, a lot of people have questions about Roll20, and one of the big questions is it's super powerful, but very dense and not necessarily incredibly obvious about what it can do. What are five hidden features everyone should know how to use? That is from Drumstick's number one fan asking that question. And I noticed nobody jumped in to say, ooh, <laughs> ooh, let me answer this one, because... There are so many, many, many hidden features. You know, there's like feature is hidden inside of a feature, hidden inside of a feature on Roll20. And unfortunately, the documentation is not great. And even if you go and find tutorials online, a lot of those were done five years ago, and they're not relevant to a lot of the new features that are in Roll20 today. So, Rodrigo, let us start with you. Not looking for a hidden feature, but what is one thing that you think a GM should master and know if they're going to use Roll20 to run their game? Um, I guess uh, one thing that I use a lot is the fact that you can um, uh, like select multiple things. So if you have multiple enemy tokens or all the players... You can, for example, select all of your player tokens and then right-click them and say add turn, and then all of those will be added to the initiative track simultaneously instead of having to add each individually. Um, one thing that you absolutely do have to master if you are running a Roll20 game is permissions. Mm -hmm. So anytime you create a character, an NPC, or even a PC where they can put in their uh, character sheet and stuff, you need to grant people permission to uh, to like um, alter it and to, to edit it and to see it. And editing it only goes to the people that have permission to edit it. So you basically pretty much have to say yes to all the edits 
yes to all the the seeing permissions unless there's something specific that you want to keep hidden and you have to do that for everything so another thing that you can do if you're just doing some like random mooks you can move in a token alter that one make sure all your permissions are on and then copy and paste it and then everything that you pasted everything that you paste afterwards will just carry all that stuff over and you can alter it change the name or whatever as you need mm -hmm. brian beyond uh learning how to use layers What's another uh, thing that GM should know how to do inside of Roll20? Yeah, layers can be a real pain uh, when things don't seem to go to the layers or <laughs> go above or below when you send to the front or the back. Uh, so, yeah, messing with those might be a good idea just to get a feel for that. Uh, as a GM, uh, yeah, I think you just have to kind of figure out, like, uh, the difference between using uh, assets as, like, tokens or background elements. Uh, if you're using a grid, uh, there's some way where you can have the path show up that I feel like we could probably mm -hmm. make better advantage of, but I never remember what it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Roll20 is interesting because, you know, it's got the fog of war, it's got light effects uh, that you can put into it, but, um, you know, it's it's you have to do a little digging around to figure out where that is, and a lot of the stuff when you're creating your game happens in the initial setup of the game that you're creating. Like what system are you going to use? What yeah, choosing character sheets. sheets that you're going to use, those kinds of things, uh, you know, is, is very useful. Uh, but it's stuff that you have to do at the very beginning. So if you create your game and then you go into the game, and you're like, okay, I heard there was a thing that was going to allow me to help create characters for my players. Where is that? Oh, no, you have to go back out and then go in, mm -hmm. figure out that, that character sheet, then make sure the compendium is added onto that. Then you go back into your game, then you create a character, then you share it with people, and then they're able to go in and, and create all their stuff. Once you have some of that stuff set up, though, I think that it is... It's kind of clever because if you do want to bring in level one orc, you just go in and find your level one orc in the uh, compendium and then you can drag and drop it right onto the screen with tokens and all these other things. There's plenty of add-ons that you can purchase uh, that will work in Roll20, uh, but those things uh, take a little time and money uh, to do. Sam, what are, what are some, some big tips that you might have for people uh, using Roll20? Um, so I really like being able to give handouts in Roll20, um, mm -hmm. like being able to show people like whether you're giving someone like a message that they've received or um, like showing them a picture of something from, you know, the monster manual, um, your ability to and uh, Rodrigo is, is really, really good at this, too. Uh, he uses a lot to uh, convey notes and have like NPCs with their own little pictures. And it, it creates a really nice quick reference sheet for, for players um, as you're going. An another thing, like, again, it's uh, if you can figure out how to use your system specific character sheet. It can make things really easy. Like I've been playing a fifth ed game on roll 20 recently, and you can just like mm -hmm. click on the character sheet, whether or not you have like advantage or disadvantage. And then when you then click on the specific role you're making, it'll roll twice and take the worst or roll twice and take the better respectively. And that's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah, it is. It is kind of nice that it's built in that way. And, and my understanding, and I haven't, uh, I created one character in uh, fifth edition, doesn't it also help you when it comes time to level up about what you can and can't add and do and that kind of stuff as well? Um, not as elegantly as uh, I would okay. want it to, but okay. um, it does it to some degree. Okay, we'll talk more about virtual character building here in just a moment. But Rob, I'm curious, in addition to sharing a, a uh, useful tip on using Roll20, uh, I've got another question for you after that. All right, uh, so oh, one of the bigger ones that we haven't mentioned is uh, the pay attention to what you can do in the chat. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a few extra random things that are very helpful. Uh, one of the bigger ones that takes me usually about half a session before I remember it exists uh, is the whisper function. So you can speak with individual players for everything. Uh, and don't be afraid to break the system. Like there's nothing you can do that can't be reset. At, to some extent, like go in there and play with everything. That's the only way you're going to get used to it is to futz around with stuff, uh, go through what Roll20 has before you even create a game, see what they've got for you know the character sheets that were mentioned, the compendiums that were mentioned. There's character sheets in there for fan-created systems for oh, yeah. various other things. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, there's a lot uh, of systems in there, but they're not all as smooth as maybe what Wizards of the Coast has put in into Roll20 or other systems as well. 
they're they're probably not. Uh, but mostly that's because they're not being made by paid coders. Yeah. They're yeah, being yeah, made yeah. by other fans. Yeah. But like, just dig into what is available before you even start, mm-hmm. uh, and you may be able to find so many tools that you'd had no idea were even a possibility that existed and your game will just run that much smoother. Yeah, if you're if you're worried that you can't draw, you don't have to draw. I mean, you could spend the money and get all the parts to make all the dungeons or cities or spacescapes or whatever that you want and drag and drop and, and build those maps up. Uh, Matthew, before we jump into the next, do you have a do you have a uh, suggestion on um, how best to use Roll20? Well, I don't necessarily believe in best or worst. I think like as with so many things, it's going to be situational and it's going to be based on the needs that you have. But I feel like probably the real pro tip would be when we were doing the weird Western and Sam would give us the grid and the board that our characters exist on, generally it would have a background that was evocative of what the actual play field was supposed to look like. So if we were fighting in the swamp, you'd see the grid and in the background, you, there was a literal photograph of a swamp with the reeds and the water and the, you know, the scum and Alec Holland hiding behind a tree, all of the things that you expect from a swamp so that you had that visual cue along with the memory of five squares over here. It kept me really focused on the role play aspect. And it was a, a really nice, very simple, I hope, because I, if, if she had to work and work and work at that, I feel terrible for how much we took it for granted. But, no, thank you. Know, you. I'm it, glad you appreciated it. It was, it was, it was pretty easy. Um, that was one nice thing about Roll20 is the ability to just like go on the internet and grab any picture you want and just toss it in the, the system and like maybe do a little bit of resizing. Um, but uh, it was pretty simple to find both backgrounds and, and icons. Yeah, and it really, really helped to you know keep that role play portion of it forecast. Forecast is a good word that I've just made up, but it also combined in the you know the the part of the game that I'm not always thrilled with, the actual wargaming on the grid part, and it kind of brought them together in a way that you don't always get, even when you're sitting at the same table playing together. So I felt like that's a real plus for Roll Twenty, and I'll echo what Rob says about the whisper. I'm not like having five different whisper conversations every game, but there have been, I can think of three, four, five, right off the top of my head, five situations where the whisper completely changed what I was going to do in character because of the interactions that we had. And I feel like every one of those cases improved the scene, it improved my character, and I feel like it improved the greater narrative. So don't be afraid to collaborate or conspire or collude uh, with the other players in the GM. And the way to do that, uh, it's a great way to do it because you can't do it at a table. If I pass a note to Rob, Rodrigo's going to make me stand up and read it to the whole class, and he's probably going to take away my phone again. Will you go to the prom with me, yes or no? <laughs> so here's the here's the last bit of advice I would say for both players and GMs. Learn how to use those macros. Uh, the macros are really awesome. Uh, if you're not using macros, definitely use the macros because they can make everything from simple checks to combat move much more quickly when all you have to do is just click on a button and you don't have to type slash RD220 blah 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 <laughs> plus K1 all that stuff. So it's really, really useful. Uh, but Rob, how would something like Roll20 work if you have two players in one location or uh, two in another location? Do, do you think that each person needs to have their own laptop in Roll20? Or, or how do you handle the voice chat? How do you do all that stuff when you have multiple people in one location and maybe only one computer? Uh, so I've actually had to do this the last couple of weeks as we finished up a uh, what was a live game before the world decided to come to an end. Uh, as a couple of our guys didn't actually have the ability to use Roll20 themselves, so three of us were on at one location, and then everybody else was scattered. We, You don't necessarily have to have a separate... Uh, I, I was the only one logged in to Roll20 for four different characters, so I was the one controlling the characters on the board. Uh, as long as everybody can see it, we had the PC hooked up to the television. Everybody could see what was going on. Uh, there was plenty. The conversation, we were fortunate enough that uh, the house we were at does 
he does his own podcast and has uh, four or five individual microphones and a soundboard. Uh, but you can set things up to have just a single microphone and everybody talking across that. Or uh, Discord, the Discord phone app is actually surprisingly good. And we did have one guy who was exclusively on the phone app for communicating with us while we were controlling everything going on. Uh, you can just find a way to make things work. You might have to adjust some things from what is normal, but uh, you don't all have to have your own thing. You don't have your own computer. You don't all have to have your own login. You can crowd a half dozen people around one screen and have the DM be somewhere else and call it good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is everybody ready for a super controversial topic? It's one that, that burns and sees in, in, in online uh, chat rooms, in dark corners of the web, and sometimes in, even in our very own Discord. And that is the topic of virtual dice rolling. <laughs> More than once. So let's talk about actual dice rolling, first of all. Uh, yeah. what, is it, what is everyone's thought about a player that you can't see, that you don't have a webcam with, what is everyone's thought on that person rolling physical dice and then telling you the results? Do you do you go by trust, or is that something that you don't do? Or what is everyone's thoughts on that, first of all? Rodrigo, let's start with you. I mean, it, it just depends on the player and, and the relationship that you have with that player. If you trust them, then let them do it. If you don't, then uh, don't. But mm -hmm. I, I will say that the good thing about things like Roll20, and actually there's uh, other utilities online that are just for rolling dice that can mm -hmm. be accessed by multiple people. Um, so the good thing about those is that if you do have a remote player, you don't need to actually throw the uh, the whole, like, do I trust you thing. You can just say, well, everybody who's remote is rolling dice remotely, and then that's that. And if they're the only person, then you can just be like, okay, well, this is what we're doing, so you got to do that. Okay. Um, Sam, Sam, what about you? What about what is your thoughts on remote players rolling physical dice? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done it both ways. I guess, like, the the thing is, like, everyone should be in this to have fun. And some, and I know that some people don't find failure fun. And so, like, they might fudge things to, like, uh, make their character always hit. But, like, everyone will notice and people will comment. And, like, I just think that, like, you're kind of being a jerk if you cheat and like hopefully social pressure is enough like you can definitely get everyone on roll 20 if you prefer uh to be honest about it um but you know i'm also one of those people that thinks that it's okay for a gm to fudge dice on occasion because sometimes that really suits the narrative so like rodrigo and and for that matter me when i was playing roll 20 um rolled everything up front um through roll 20 uh to make it clear what was happening because that was just kind of the default. But I, I think it's actually okay for the GM to have a screen and be like, eh, you know, it wouldn't actually be any inter interesting if like my villain misses the entire time in this fight. Um, so uh, I'm kind of okay either way, really. It, it kind of depends on your group and what your priorities are. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about those virtual dice, Brian. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so many people, just don't trust the virtual dice. Well, and I do get, I, I swear, I get probably three or four, at least once a quarter, I will get an email from someone going, I can't trust Roll20's dice rolling system because it's <laughs> weighted in favor of the players or it's weighted in favor of the GMs. And you can't trust that stuff because never does Roll20 roll below a 10. <laughs> uh, what, what are your reactions to, and, and you're, you come from a computer programming background, yeah. What are what are your thoughts on this true randomness of virtual dice? Uh, well, uh, true randomness is very hard to achieve uh, with uh, digital uh, things, but uh, I mean, it sounds like they are doing it right. Where you know the random seed that they do use to generate these random numbers is coming from a truly random source, uh, apparently like the radioactive decay of an isotope. Uh, so that's probably going to be more statistically random than actual physical dice, at least many of them. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen that whole saltwater test of Oh, dice sure, sure, how, to see if it's balanced correctly, yeah. Yeah, and how a lot of the, you know, <laughs> readily available dice on the market aren't so balanced, and so that you know, can definitely be an issue. 
uh, yeah, people uh, keep an eye out for clear dice, and that lets you see if there are any occlusions in the dice. That, so if you are using physical dice, that's a bit good way to kind of help make sure that your dice are good there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, if they say they don't get any rolls below 10, they're not hearing me rolling, I guess, on roll 20. Uh, exactly. But uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like it's probably, you know, uh, good enough. I mean, I do tend to prefer having physical aspects, especially if you're in person, so, you know, everyone can see and be engaged with what's rolling, but no, if, I, if I'm going to play be, be playing a game remotely, I'm going to want to go with the uh, digital dice, so it's all on the screen where everyone can see as well. Yeah, I, I guess for me, to, it, if you trust the application that you're using, like Roll20 and the fact that you're using the decay rate of barium or whatever it is, uh, that seems fairly random, and the chance of it being favor, you know, um, rolling in favor of the GM or the player or plus 10 or minus 10 or whatever, to me, is not an issue. But how do you overcome that worry of not having physical dice, Matthew? You, you for years have used physical dice, and then suddenly you were thrust into the world of Roll20, and uh, there are many times where listeners will hear you say, oh, I hate Roll20, and I don't know if that furthered people's uh, fears of Roll20 being a bad uh, you know, dice rolling system or not, but how, mm-hmm. do you, how did you overcome that worry of physical dice versus virtual dice? Well, when I do, I'll let you know. But I feel like there are a couple of things that you have to take into account. First of all, as with any major spoilers programming, if you hear me say I hate something, it almost certainly means I don't because there are, there's literally no one on this call that I haven't told that I hate for one reason or another. But more importantly, there's a psychological aspect to gaming. And for me, part of that has been tied to my dice. I'm the guy who has the match set of all red crystal dice. I made sure they're the same color. I have the stupid dice. I have a 30-sider. I have a 100-sider. I have the chip dice. I have the little electronic die that you turn it on, and it spins and spins and spins, and it actually moves itself. I have a whole bunch of stupid stuff, and for me, that's all been part of the, the ephemera, part and parcel of playing the game. And giving that up for critical hit in the Roll20 was difficult. Now, at this point... It's second nature, and I don't necessarily worry about it, but I know that I still think when I roll a physical die and it comes up a one, my brain says, I rolled for crap. When I press the button and I type RD20K1563KMG365 Rampart, whatever it is you have to put in, and it comes up a one, I think the game rolled for crap. So I feel like there's you have to kind of psychologically put yourself in the in the mindset that regardless of whether you're physically dropping a piece of plastic on a table or you're entering the numbers into the computer either way you are creating a random outcome it's your die it's your number and even if that number sucks it's the same as if you had rolled that die and you can say all you want well this is crazy. This can't happen. In the last round of critical hit, I swear to swear to you, we had a one, four twenties, and another one come up in like six consecutive rolls. And we all called it out and went, wow, that's crazy. But it's also the nature of randomly generating a number between one and 20. And it's hard to remember that sometimes. Um, but just remember, I hate everything and math is nonsense and you can't really trust either of them. Well, uh, an important thing to that that goes with this is is your is like any given person's observation of things, which mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. going to be perfect. You know, a lot of the times people are like, "Oh man, roll twenty is terrible because every time we get into combat, I roll five. Tw-, you know, it's like the the game masters is just rolling nothing but twenties and nineteens and seventeens, and I'm like, how how does roll twenty know you're in combat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right it like knows it, it, oh it knows rodrigo yeah it, it's it doesn't it's and it's you know it's like oh i i rolled <laughs> i want to say in an upcoming episode maybe it's already out for patrons i rolled like four ones in a row yeah you rolled for crap in the last yeah. recording session yeah so it was yeah that's just you know it's something that happens statistically speaking if you roll a one the chances of you rolling another one in a 20-sided die are... Um, Still one in 20. 
still one in 20. So yeah. it's, it's our expectations and our observations of dice that really tend to color that and change the way that we perceive it. I assure you, the machine doesn't know or care what you're doing. It's our expectations of what the machine is like trying to get us to do, I guess, that makes us think that um, right. that there's some malfeasance going on. Yeah. Well, in, in our defense, you do, in fact, have a name in the game when you do something that says the universe, comma, which hates you. Yeah. That I is mean, that literally is your Roll20 game name. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you're responsible for our paranoia, but... I'm not not saying it. Mm -hmm. uh, just just going back to the macro thing, uh, you can put anything in a macro, uh, including not only the the die that you're rolling, but also yeah. versus you know will or Ford or whatever that you're doing. But then you can also put in flavor text in there. Yes, as well. your macros are hilarious. <laughs> so Matthew, you had said something a minute ago that that kind of reminded me that. Uh, when you were talking about all the crazy stuff that you bring, you know, we have, you know, bags of dice in the Crown Royal bag or one of those critical hit dice bags. Uh, we, you know, have 30,000 books uh, that cover the game system that we're playing. Some people want to bring their lucky backpack or their uh, uh, their Wormwood uh, dice rolling tray or, or dice tower and all of those things. And when it comes to the virtual game, you don't have to bring that stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering, Sam, what are parts of, of the game that actually works better when you're playing online compared to uh, in person and vice versa? Um, so I play a lot of Pathfinder, which is a really complicated system. And looking up rules uh, for that is a huge pain if you're trying to do that with physical books. But it's <clears throat> trivially easy if you're using the uh, the SRD, like their, their resource for... Um, mm -hmm. uh, all the rules online. And so having everyone have their computer in front of them when they're playing online makes it much easier to be able to make notes, uh, to be able to look up rules. And then, you know, I also honestly like having Google Docs um, where um, you have notes with all of like NPC names or quest objectives basically, or like things that you know about a mystery. Um, and, you know, what having that does also is it, it protects things. Um, you know, your, your notes can't have Coke spilled off on them if you're uh, in a Google Doc. You know, your your cat can't puke on your book um, if it's all digital. Um, yeah, stop no, puking, you know, cat. Sorry. It's ha definitely happened. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the so it definitely makes kind of speeds that aspect up. You know, the contrast is that, like, I love looking through physical books for, say, monster ideas, and I'm just never going to get that um, – clear vision of like what a monster looks like right, uh, right. just by reading its stat block online. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. And then plus also your, your husband uh, does some really cool things with the Dwarven Forge uh, stuff, right? I mean, those are the, I think he has Dwarven Forge, but yeah, Dwarven Forge. you know, you have Sweet. those big physical, you know, landscapes and things that you can build to, to put your adventure in that may not transfer over virtually, Brian. So what are parts of the yeah. game that you think are the hardest to recreate in the virtual space? Yeah, definitely just uh, any games that rely on uh, other mechanical po components like cards or, you know, specific templates can be kind of difficult. I mean, uh, certain platforms do definitely handle it uh, better. Uh, I mean, apparently they even got uh, Jenga running and, freaking virtual reality so you, if you really wanted to play dread you could but uh yeah i think uh if you're gonna put, try to play zombie world it's gonna be a little bit difficult because it is a card-based thing or like the most recent paranoia system uh so those right. are all I, I i feel like uh subtlety and nuance is a little bit more difficult in uh virtual space uh, because again you're just relying on audio cues for the most part not the visual body language uh, so you know games where like players may be trying to be a bit more sly on each other may not all be working at the same purposes is probably a little more difficult in a virtual yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because it's a little bit of both right it's like if you want to shoot someone a look you have to describe it. Even if you yeah. are seeing people visually, people won't know that you, they're the ones you're looking at. 
So you'll have to be like, I, my character shoots a look at your character, like, what's going on, right? Whereas in person, you would just do that. But also, there's the whispers feature, where you can actually yeah. communicate completely silently and not alert other players as to what you're doing. Um, I will say that if you actually want things to happen, you need to like let your dungeon master in on what you're talking about, um, because you can have an entire conversation with another player over whispers, and then when you go and you're like, okay, well, we're going to do that thing. And the game master doesn't know, yeah. um, you, you know, you, you have to communicate that to them and, and sort of what your goals and what you're trying to get out of things are, but it's pretty interesting that you can, it, it's like, it's a net, like sort of like a net zero, like visual cues are muted, but there's actually a lot of ways to, uh, withhold information from other people. Um, and transfer information to other people that you wouldn't have physically if you were playing uh, you know, with five people around a table. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, Chris uh, asks, Roll20 has majority share of the market. Do you have any other experience with other virtual tabletops, Fantasy Grounds, or any of the other ones that I listed a, a moment ago? Rob, you have some experience with some of the, some other systems, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, Brian was mentioning the games with the Jenga or the cards uh, as mechanics. And I was going to say there's also the tabletop simulator mm, mm -hmm. uh, can actually handle both of those things. I don't know how well it'll handle Jenga, uh, but it definitely has the ability to deal out cards and everything like that. Uh, it's something that we've been using for other various tabletop games. I haven't done it with role-playing yet, but I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work since it has miniatures built in snap to grid features uh and a bajillion variant variations on mods mm -hmm. uh, so you can find just about any game that you need and someone has created a mod for it yeah uh, but it allows for a lot more manipulation of 3d elements uh whereas something like roll 20 or and I've never seen Fantasy Grounds. I'm assuming Fantasy Grounds is going to be similar in the all top-down, just here's our map thing. Uh, dependent, whereas uh, the tabletop simulator, while you do have to purchase it, uh, Steam has sales constantly, and I don't think I paid more than 10 bucks for it. There you go. Uh, just real quick before we are out of time this week, I did want to point out that if you're looking for ways to uh, use character sheets... Uh, that are not inside your virtual game. Like we have had mentioned before, Dungeons & Dragons has been pretty good at getting D&D Beyond and Fantasy Grounds and uh, Roll20 to incorporate uh, character sheets that actually work with the system so that if uh, it'll automatically deduct hit points or uh, you know if you click on your spell card, it'll actually roll the dice for you, those kinds of things. But I am a huge fan of Hero Lab for character building. Um, it is... The ver I have two different versions. One is a desktop version uh, on your computer. It has 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons, 4th edition, uh, Pathfinder. I don't know if it has Pathfinder 2.0, uh, but it's it's pretty good. It's got, it's got a bunch of different systems that you can go in. They also have an online version, which is the Paizo systems, uh, Pathfinder, Starfinder only. Right now, they haven't licensed the D&D uh, system. But what's nice about Hero Lab, as far as uh, character sheets, and this is something you might be able to use when you're working with your your players, is when it's time to level up, or when you are done, or when you have um, something that triggers, the system lets you know. So when it's time to uh, level up, you put in and say, "Oh, I want to use this feat," and it'll say, "I'm sorry, you can't use this feat," or it'll keep track and make sure that you're spinning points correctly or the things are stacking mostly correctly. Uh, I just recently went on to the online version of Hero Lab. And for the uh, for an upcoming game, and it's pretty good for Starfinder Pathfinder. I was kind of hoping that they would have had fifth edition and others in there. Uh, they don't yet, but the desktop version does. So that's something that you might want to look out for. Also, D and D Beyond apparently has a very robust uh, fifth edition um, character sheet builder in there uh, for you, as well as NPC character sheet creation tools and those kinds of things. Uh, let's see. Before we get out of here, I think there's one more question. There's a question that popped up here in the chat. Uh, do online games have more or fewer issues with people trying to talk over each other between whisper functions and being unable to see if people are about to talk, or does it just depend on the group? Anyone can jump in on that. 
Definitely more. Exactly. Case in point is that you yeah. can't, especially when you can't see each other's faces, you can't see when someone's about to talk. Um, mm. And so you're much more likely to have more people like talk at the same time. And, um, and especially when like audio is coming in relatively soft from the like remote players, if you have a mix of, of in-person remote players, it can be really hard to even notice that someone's talking. So you basically have right. to like, make everyone sit down and shut up. Another issue is that like sometimes people like to use voices and sometimes those voices do not translate well over full remote. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, I'm going to talk in a, like a soft little voice, um, people are just not going to be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. So here's the final question as we end up uh, this week. We've talked about the need to have maybe some kind of a dice rolling system, but not necessarily. You could still use physical dice. You definitely need to have some kind of audio component so that everyone can talk with one another. But if your game is really, and this is what 5th edition really promoted itself as, the theater of the mind combat experience, do you really need a tabletop app at all? Do you really need a Roll20? Do you really need a D&D &D Beyond? Let's go around the table really quick, Matthew. Start with you and get your reaction to that. Well, um, crunchy granola answer. Role-playing games do not need anything other than people willing to role play. You don't need dice. You don't need a gaming system, to be honest. You don't need anything. You, there is no absolute requirement to play a role playing game other than people who are willing to share that experience and, you know, maybe agree on how that game goes. Will it help? I think yes. But as with so many questions, is it good or bad? It's not necessarily good or bad. It's a question of how much work do you want to put in it? You know, there are times when something will happen and I will try and respond to it as quickly as possible and make it the primary focus. But if I were willing to try and multitask on something, it's just going to make it more difficult. And I think that's the question is not do you need it is how much extra work you're going to have to do without it. And is that extra work worth it in your particular situation? Brian? Uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, if you're definitely using a system that doesn't rely so much on miniatures and uh, grid, uh, yeah, that, that can really uh, make things easier if you're just uh, kind of doing a more narrative or even just a more old school game that doesn't care so much about attacks of opportunity. Uh, if you're doing like a pre 3E system uh, for D&D specifically, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, can be a lot more uh, suited to that kind of play if you don't want to be clicking on uh, squares so much. There you go. Rob, final thoughts from you? Uh, yeah, any system that uh, easily supports the other of the mind, totally don't need a virtual tabletop for it. I don't think any version of D&D I've ever played supports theater of the mind all that effectively. But uh, if you're playing so many other systems, it's not necessary to have anything. You may need something so that people can see a little tracker, and that's about it. Okay, Sam? Uh, yeah, so I, I absolutely agree with... Um what Brian said about like, you know, narrative systems are going to work better for this. Like one of the weird things about five years, as much of it talks about theater of the mind, it still has opportunity attacks and yeah. it still has spells with ranges yeah. and areas and still has, you know, weapon attacks with ranges and areas. So you kind of really want a grid. And I also really like D Harshman's point. It's like, you don't need dice or minis, but I do like dice and minis. Like yeah. having a grid <laughs> just makes me feel way more immersed in the game. Yep. And Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Uh, I mean, to, to reiterate, yes, there's a lot of systems out there. You probably don't need uh, any sort of visual thing if you're going to play a Fate Accelerated game. Um, I, I guess maybe if you're getting into a Cortex game, you probably want to see which way your relationship arrows are pointing. <laughs> but presumably you can do that in, in a shared Google document or something like that. Um, I, I think most games are going to want some sort of core place that everyone can where the game master can just say look at this thing um but a lot of games are not going to absolutely need that you can basically fudge that in a lot of ways i do think though that the majority of games that are out there do want some sort of even very rudimentary uh 
tabletop. All right. Thank you, everybody, for being on the show this week. And thank you to those who were in the uh, live chat during the game this uh, during the discussion this month. We certainly do appreciate you uh, showing up as well. And hopefully you found this information valuable. I think the bottom line when it comes to online gaming, use what works best for you. You don't have to use the same thing that everyone else is using just because they say you have to do it. You can go out and have fun on your own. And hopefully you'll discover something new that soon everyone else will be using. And they'll say that's all because you were the better GM. Thank you so much, everybody, for checking us out this month. We will be back next month with another exciting topic. But until then, here's hoping all of your dice rolls are critical hits. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.